Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. So we are now into fall, and I love fall, personally. Uh, and I am getting ready to try something this year. I've got uh, Halloween coming up, and I want to write a cereal that will go out once a week leading up to Halloween with some sort of spooky theme. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Probably use my Oddish Quester kids. I have a couple ideas, possibly. i got to finish up. Short story that will be serialized. Uh, and go out once a week. So uh, we'll see what happens. But that's my big plans here. And I'm excited for fall. Uh, I've got some other things for Halloween uh, I'm planning to try and do too. So I'll keep you updated on that. Today, we have a really good interview with Charles Degelman, who the day this podcast comes out on the 13th is the day his book is launching. And we did not plan that. It just so happened it came out like that. But there's an interesting talk about the 60s and some of the stuff that happened there or that his book is based on. And Charles is also a professor. And we have a good discussion in the second half for authors about teaching young writers and helping young writers to write. Uh, he comes at it from the perspective of a college professor, very well educated. I come at it from uh, having fun with kids, and we both have the same type of goal as helping younger people write. So it's a great talk. Uh, if you're an author, you should stick around for that one. So before I go any further, here's Charles. Today on Discovered Wordsmith, I want to welcome Charles Degelman. Charles, how are you doing today? I think I'm doing pretty well. The sky is blue out here in Los Angeles, and uh, LA? it threatens to be hot, but so far it just looks lovely and blue and I'm up and around and happy to be here. Nice. I live in Northeast Ohio and it's been rainy the last couple of days. Today it's not that humid. It's not hot. It's beautiful. Gorgeous day. Great. Yeah. So, nice so we're change. stuck inside. Yeah. I know you've had some tough weather there. You've had some odd weather happening there. We have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we all we know so. We know you live in LA, but before we start talking about your book and your trilogy, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and some of the things you like to do besides writing. Sure. Actually, a lot of the things that I like to do uh, inform my writing, and I've always felt that was a, a kind of a treasure that I carry with me, which is that in my artistic life, however that motley they that may be and I, I you had said something earlier before the interview began about people's other lives and the way they all work i i was fortunate as a kid to become both a a folk musician and an actor as and actually began later on to to carry on as a as both a, a full-time actor and 
this book, Rocked in Time, that we'll be talking about actually takes place in a theater company. The background I have is there. I've also been from one time and another as a starving artist and a wayward, <laughs> a wayward bohemian. I've been a carpenter. I enjoy working with my hands and have actually been able to scuttle by being a carpenter from time to time. And, and then I've been an educator, which has been wonderful. But certainly in terms of the artistic work, or the work, the craft of being a writer, I feel very fortunate to have had this fairly deep background in music and in performance of music and in, and in theater. And then some of that has gone across to my writing. I also, for a long time, I've worked in both arts commissions in San Francisco and down here doing theater in Los Angeles. But I also then decided to go back to grad school because I wanted to teach at university level. And Nice. Uh, before that, I had been, I worked, I had a real office job, by God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. I went in every day, and but it was a very, I was terrific job. I was working for a small nonprofit that we designed and published educational material in history, U.S. history, world history, and that was terrific a lot of social studies work, a lot of curriculum design, a lot of, of actual procedures, and a lot of informational essays. And that was nice. a terrific training ground for me. I basically, I made a living, nice salary, and I learned all aspects one way or another of both writing and design and development, but also publishing. I got a chance to really get my hands on that. So I've been nice. lucky that way that I've been able to set out and find various either jobs or artistic adventures, all of which seem to lead in this sort of weird, mysterious way toward what I now do. Uh, predominantly, I'm not a, a, an active musician. I'm a writer. That's, nice. And that's where I must say... You you mentioned Wayward Bohemian. I think that would be the, a great name for a band. And you said you played folk music. Wayward Bohemian obviously sounds folk music, but man, can you imagine a heavy metal band with the title with the name of Wayward Bohemian? It just—I think that would be a wonderful thing. Great. I also was in, especially in San Francisco. I played a lot of jazz. I got it. Oh I, yeah. I, was, uh, I miss I, that I, now. Sometimes I, I did that when uh, I was in school. And I don't listen to a whole lot, but every now and then I'll put it on and I'm like, yeah, I miss this now that I'm getting older, more yeah, so than no, I did yes. younger. Uh, it's not, it's hard to find, a little bit harder to find these days. It's there. Yeah. It's there. But uh, it is a little bit less of what's going on in the world yeah. than it was, say, 50 years ago. But right, it's, right. Uh, anyway, it's a background that I, that is also part of my artistic work and I, I find it very precious to have had those experiences. I mean, and your experience in that with education and teaching and that, we're going to talk a bit 
more that type of thing for the second half for authors. So there's a preview. But why? <laughs> I know you're a musician and actor and teacher. Why did you want to start writing novels and fiction? I had started actually as a teenager, and I was one of those kids who sat around reading Robert Louis Stevenson and Mark Twain. And fortunately, my parents were both. Wayward Bohemians? <laughs> yeah, uh, not quite, but uh, close enough so that I could, they could, could appreciate some of my madness as a, uh, having to do with folk music and all the other things that I've done. But also, during my earlier years, and we'll talk about this with the trilogy, I was an, a an activist. I was an anti-war activist during the Vietnam era, and I've continued to be an activist. But most particularly, my, my real mission in life is to create writing now, but certainly theater as well, that speaks to the times, reflects some of the conflicts and contradictions that our, that our lives go through as history drags us in its wake. Well, so, to, to that point, I live eight minutes away from Kent State, and they oh still have God. a sculpture on Kent yes. State with a bullet hole in it. When I saw that the first time, I was like, wow, that, the sculpture's here with that bullet hole, and yeah. it's still there to this day with the bullet hole. So it's, it's weighty. That is very interesting because that was, of course, in, in the experience of sort of university-based student protest, that was a very pivotal and traumatic event that, that happened in 1970, as some of you folks may know, where the National Guard, actually, there's some talk about whether they went out of control or whether they were ordered to open fire on these kids who were protesting the war and, as you'll see later, also protesting the use of the university as a, a laboratory for developing weapons, which to many of us at the time felt like, I don't want my university doing that. I didn't pay tuition to have you guys develop napalm to... to drop it in Vietnam. So it, definitely interesting era. times, not to yeah. say that the last 10 to 20 years haven't been interesting times in and of themselves. <laughs> no, this, this is a very, that would be a very long conversation for us to be comparing <laughs> what's going right. on now with what had been going on in the 60s. A lot of similarities, but a whole lot of differences, obviously. Definitely. So before we go delve into history, because we're old guys, let's talk about your book, which is the last part of a trilogy, the Resistance yeah. Trilogy, and the book is called Rocked in Time. So tell us a bit about that. I've got a, a copy here. It looks like it's backwards to me. I suppose it is. I think everybody. it'll flip around when I do the video. Gotcha. Okay. You're the, you're the genius there. Rocked in Time has a subtitle of Confessions of a Radical Theater Artist. So this particular novel, 
the third of the three in the Resistance trilogy, is set in a theater company. And this is where we play with the interface between fiction and real life. So we, the, the novel itself and the narrator are part of this company. He gets brought into, he auditions for and gets brought into this, this ragtag theater company that uh, in the late 1960s actually existed. So yes, it's a novel and yes, there are many fictional characters, but there are also an interlay with historical characters as well, including some Black Panthers, but and some other interesting folks. But it's really the story of this company evolving and moving out into, from its home in San Francisco, moving out on the road to do a tour of these campuses that had been set up earlier. So that there's, we're basically the story, the first half of the story is set on the road. There's a mythological notion for you. On the road in America in late 1960s with this theater company going from campus to campus where they have been expected, invited by a political organization, student political organization that really existed called Students for a Democratic Society. Now, you and I know about the Students for a Democratic Society, but for those who don't, it, it was and still is, it doesn't exist this, in this way, but at the time, it was the largest student organization in America. And they organized around economic issues, and they organized around the political issues of the time, such as the war and r- r- racism. and the big part of what I tackle in Rocked in Time, sexism. And so a lot of what goes on in Rocked in Time in this theater company is the contradiction in the characters between them being, considering themselves to be very left-wing, very righteous about their political and ethical motivations, but Women were still second-class citizens, and that was, of course, much truer in the late 60s than soon thereafter we saw women striking out to, to have their voices heard as feminists. But this is right on the cusp of that, that Rocked in Time takes place. So there are quite a few interactions there about women not taking any crap from the from the supposed radical leaders of the of the left wing, so there's a lot of nice. character stuff going on there. But it's it was very exciting to write because it really did allow me to go across the country from one university to another in my own fictional world here, where we had set up these performances that were part of big demonstrations. So I'll probably read a little bit about that as it goes on. And yeah. it just then takes, looks at what it's like to be in a small theater company that is creating its own material. This is a company that wasn't taking from Shakespeare. It was 
It was writing its own material. So it was, a, it was an original endeavor of very innovative nature. So you wrote a book about a theater company that's writing play, essentially. That's very meta. That's right. That's so, right. We, I, yeah. That's so right. Let me ask you this, kind of a double question. Yeah. What other authors out there are similar to your style that someone may say, oh, I like that author, I'll read Charles. And then also your book, what other books out there might be similar to that book that people would say, oh, that sounds interesting? Good, good question. I have a very hard time coming up with favorite authors and so on. But people who I think wrote articulately in, in, in historical settings like this, who I like, would include, let's see, oh dear, a man named John Nichols, who wrote several novels in the 70s and 80s set during this period. He wrote about, he wrote about the, the revolutionary movements that were going on, strangely enough, in New Mexico. And uh, and with people who were moving back to the land and with people who were interacting with with the local folks who'd grown up there. So John Nichols is one. Wow. <laughs> it's a it's it I really am not strong on taking models. Now strangely enough, during the time I wrote this, I did I was reading very avidly I was reading Doris Lessing. Doris Lessing is a British novelist who who wrote in the in the 50s and the 60s, but she wrote about she wrote about the political movements in Great Britain after World War II. And so there was a great deal of very animated interaction in her book The Golden Notebook that had to do with what might what might sound oh god we're going to listen to a political argument oh god <laughs> but she had that gift of turning these ideas and these struggles into dynamic animated interactions often quite sexy because that was certainly a part of our time it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, rock but it was roll, a whole right. lot of other stuff too. So, <laughs> right. So, why did you choose? Why did you choose to write a fiction book based on this time period and the conflicts instead of something else like sci-fi or whatever? Why this particular subject matter for your book? I because because I'd had such an intense experience myself in doing this kind of that I wanted to try to capture that, not by remembering exactly who said what to whom or how all, how all of that, the numbers of people came, who came and went. I'm still in touch with many people I worked with in that theater, but I would have to say that uh, I really needed the distance of creating characters. So I'm not me as the narrator. I'm a slightly different person, although it's done in the first person. 
and many of the characters, although they approximate real life characters that I had these experiences with, are not because it just gives you the freedom to to move dramatically through a work and keep it rolling, regardless of. There's always this old question about writing: was I uh, is it's not really about what really happened. <laughs> so right, it, uh, it's you close. Know, it, yeah, it's to give you that feel, and it's to have a good narrative. Also, it's got to be an interesting story. But the narrative has to lie on the page. It can't be so often when I'm in, say, workshops with kids or even with contemporaries, they will say about a time, oh, it wasn't really like that. That's not the point. The point is, how is the story, what is the world you have created on the page, and how does that world make sense, and how does it move? It's not about what really happened, but it's in the the ballpark. Exactly. So you've got that. You've had a couple books out on the trilogy. What's the feedback from readers been like? They, people are very appreciative of it goes two ways actually I'll say and I'll try to be brief about this but one one clump of readers people who take the time which we all appreciate when people will take the time, say, on Amazon to write a review or on Goodreads to write a review because they're, in a certain way, more important than any critic's review. It's what people are seeing in your book right. or just folks who are reading this stuff, not trying to get it in print. And so there's one one group of people who talks about this period and says, thank you goodness for you bringing some of this back to me or saying thank goodness i never really knew what happened then i was too young i didn't really know what was going on but i've always been curious and somehow you charles degelman have managed to give me a sense of what was going on in these worlds of resistance of the resistance movements in those days so there's those that bunch and then there's a bunch that says ah you guys didn't do anything all you did was sit around and smoke dope and get laid and And it's just not true there was a tremendous amount of of activity and people either are going yeah that didn't happen like that or they are saying thank you very much for either reminding me or showing me something that I didn't have the chance to experience. And I love that you said that's pretty powerful to me in understanding about your book, because when I read Harry Turtledove's Guns of the South, it's about the Civil War and if the South got machine guns and what would happen. And it's like a history version of a Michael Crichton book where what's in there, the history facts are what's there, but then he makes it a narrative and changes it. And yeah. I learned, and he really tried to explore different thinking of people on the whole civil war on both sides and good, bad, and more than just the slavery point of it. And I learned more about the civil war reading that book than I did in school. 
in school yeah. was what numbers yes. were. So yes. I, I love oh, yeah. books like yeah. that that can bring yep. that out very good. So I, you should be very proud of that. I think that's wonderful. That's, that, that is, you make a good point there, that oftentimes the vehicle, of, say a fiction vehicle that has some compelling plot to it, can bring a tremendous amount of information along with it, that you're not even like having to memorize the day, right. but you're learning. And that's not and, to say everything in like that book that Lee said, that's exactly what he said. No, I understand that. You got to weigh that a little bit, but it's like the Michael Crichton Jurassic Park. They talked about the blood from the amber. At the time, that was a theory. They thought they really could get DNA from the blood in mosquitoes oh, caught oh, in right. amber. Right. Yeah. But it came to be not true. But at the time, it it was a cutting edge theory. And I love that about his books, too. So, yeah, yeah, that was an interesting moment. I remember. Yeah. But yeah. For example, Gates of Eden. Again, it's fiction, and none of the characters are real. But I draw from there are a, a couple of kids who are college students, so you see them coming of age and starting to understand. Wait a minute, what's going on out here? This is in the early and mid '60s. What's going on out here? And you've got you've got people who were middle class college students. You have people who were a couple of characters are just working class folks were drafted into the war and came back with a different kind of education than they left with in terms of their abilities to understand what was going on that created that war. And they are become characters. There's a couple of feisty young women in here. There's a, a black couple who are involved in the civil rights movement, along with a lot of white people as well. But it's a very broad scope, but I'm trying to bring all these elements in to say this, these are the people who came together from very many different directions to put up the resistance that we recognize as either the fight for civil rights or the anti-war movement and during and that's important. I love that. Charles, your series, if you had a choice, would you rather see it as a couple movies or as a TV show? And um, I say TV, but streaming more, more so than TV. Sure. It's a fun topic to deal with because there's so much material out there. People are needing so much material. It's, I'll take any of it. <laughs> I'm in LA, so I see some of this. I'd say... There's one, one of these books, A Bowl Full of Nails, is set in a little mountain town in Colorado. So that would make a really good film, just from the fact that what happens is after the protagonist sort of has to leave California, has to get out of town, he ends up in, in, in a little crazy little mountain town in Colorado. And that would make a great little feature film. It would be just practically speaking. Okay, we got one site. All we have to worry about. (laughs) The larger ones, I think Rocked in Time, would make an interesting episodic, say, six, a six-episode piece where you're watching this company come together go across the country, and then recover. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
from, from these. I, I agree. I think you're right on that. That would it, it definitely would not work as well in a two hour movie. No, it, some of this is just it, it, thank goodness for this new streaming format yeah. and the popularity because you really can tackle what normally are such difficult projects. You try to get war and peace into a movie. Oh, man. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, I mean, how, um, how do you do that? They did a foundation. So if uh-huh. they can do that one. <laughs> Hats off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you have a website and where can listeners find your book? It's all the usual suspects have it. The new, the, these two have been out for a while. So they're at Amazon, they're at Powell's, they're, they're at Bookshop, Barnes and Noble. They're around. They aren't necessarily on the shelf, but you can always order them. Amazon, of course, is sadly the principal place. I do have a site of my own, quite simply, Charles Degelman, one word. And uh, again, I can, looks like that, back on backwards. Right. CharlesDegelman.org. Okay. Simple I'll make sure and have a link in the and, show notes. Right. Yeah, because I'm there. And then I'm, I've been working lately with a with a publicist. I've never worked with a publicist before. Or... I have a couple of times and it hasn't, it's been not as fruitful, but I am being taught social media. Got it. That's a whole new world. Yes. I'm sure it, it is a whole new world. And so I'm getting out more on social media with these, all three of these books now. And, but the most recent one, and this one, Rocked in Time that we've been talking about is coming out September 13th. So nice. you can pre-order it now, but it won't come to you for a while. I think that's the same day I'm actually releasing my book one in my middle grade fantasy. Yeah. So we'll, wow. we'll have to call each other up and see how things go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, uh, Charles, what's your plans for your next book? Oh, dear. I'm not sure. I'm still recovering from uh, from finishing this up. I literally yesterday put in the fine post. You're probably familiar, and some of your listeners may be familiar with the difference between an ARC, an advanced reading copy that goes out, and then the book itself that goes out. The advanced reading copy goes out a few months ahead of time for for reviewers to take a look at, see if they want to review interviewers such as yourself, so on. Uh, But in between that time, I also had a wonderful copy editor go through the book, and she found all kinds of horrifying glitches and things in the advanced reading copy. So I just literally yesterday finished going through and integrating all of her changes into the manuscript. Very uh, wow. That's the other part young readers should know. This is hard work, you guys. <laughs> yeah, it can be, but it's enjoyable. It's, uh, just yeah, like playing yeah, music yeah. and everything. Yeah, exactly. That's I sat here working on this script yesterday. 
and had some music on. It's just great. Nice. So we were talking some books earlier. Do you have any longtime favorite authors or favorite books of Ooh. your own? I do, but again, I'm so terrible at thinking about this. But I would say, <laughs> pivotal to my writing, I would say, and I was introduced to him very early on by my father, Mark Twain, Sam Clemens. I love Twain. The intelligence and the humor. And one thing that I've always been fascinated with Mark Twain about is Mark Twain is a celebrated liar. He sees lying as like the stuff of fiction. Come on, it is. Right. You're lying all the time. At least you're being honest about it. Right. Yeah, and yeah. he's a good case study because we know of him and think he's wonderful, but he still at times had to go on a book tour to promote a book so he'd have enough money that he wouldn't be bankrupt. So, so Yep. It's, this is not instant hit time. And uh, it's, there have been, there are times when wonderful things can happen, but for the most part, he, like pretty much everybody who is actually seriously writing, is working hard to make ends meet. It's not always that lucrative a profession. And so, Charles, where you live, do you have a favorite bookstore you like to go to? I do. There are a couple around here, but my favorite, I live in, in basically in Hollywood. But a little bit east of us is Skylight Books, which is in a neighborhood called Silver Lake, which is still a part of the larger sort of Hollywood world. and. It's been Skylight Books has been around for a long time. They made it through the COVID disaster. Bravo for them for doing that, along with a number of other bookstores. But I like them. They're very community oriented. They're very much about bringing in authors to speak of an evening. And now that COVID has died down somewhat, they're back to doing that. So you can crowd in there and somebody will read and then we'll have a discussion very similar to what we're doing right now and and sign books and so on and it's just a it's it's emphasis and why I think it's important and is representative of a large number of bookstores these days that aren't part of a chain is that they are connecting themselves to the community in as many ways as they can. Yeah, I love that. And it's, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, so before we move on to talking about author stuff, which I'm very excited on our topic of working with kids, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, Charles, I heard you wrote a book. Why should I get your book and read it? What would you tell them? To have a good time. <laughs> Entertainment, then there you go. right? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, Charles, thank you for sharing the book. I appreciate it. And I hope uh, some readers and listeners find it, it exciting and fun to read. I wanted to add one postscript to that. The thing that okay. I think is most valuable to me is when somebody says, oh, I loved your book and I didn't want to leave it. I didn't want to leave. In other words, 
they're saying, I have created, you have created a world and I like your world and I want to stay in it. And that right. to me, is that feeling sometimes you get with the book, it's, like, oh man, let me get back into that world. Let me climb back yes. in there. Uh, yes, so, that's our favorite. Yeah, yeah. It's To me, that's, oh, thank you. That's wonderful. I just feel like that's what I'm trying to do. Good. Great. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website. Go to Amazon. Look them up. Get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for, to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use. So I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.